Hello, welcome to the Mythology of Marksmanship podcast. I'm Morgan King, and I'm here with Marcus Olson. Um, he's from Sweden, and I'm going to let him uh, introduce himself. How are you doing, Marcus? Oh, I'm I'm fine, Morgan. I'm fine. How are you? Not bad at all. <clears throat> what? Wonderful. So, I know you so, run like a uh, store, right? No, I, I work with... Uh, so I, like two and a half years ago, I uh, I started working on a distribution company in Sweden. Uh, we run uh, brands like Seacomp, uh, Vortex, Nightforce, Everly Stock, a bunch of different brands for shooting and, and hunting. So I work with sales there. And uh, besides from that, I, uh, well, I shoot, shoot competitively. Uh, shot the match in New Mexico, where, and that's where we met. Yep, yep. And, you did pretty uh, good there. Yeah, I did good on the first day. I went like I was pretty happy. I, I was ninth after first day, but apparently, like, you have to drink water when you're in like the desert, which um, <laughs> kind of bummed bummed my brain out on day two. I was like, why am I so stupid? I was like, I don't know. Why did I make that decision? And I started thinking. I started thinking. Well, shit, I haven't had a took a leak in hours. Yeah, uh, so water is pretty important. It helps. Uh, yeah, figured that one out. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so um, I also um, helped fund, uh, f- founded the uh, IPRF uh, along with Rob Ramston and Tiff Dew. And I also am chairman for the sport uh, within the big uh, federation in Sweden. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much what I do. Okay. I'm also shooting the world championship for Sweden yep. in the open division. How long have you been shooting? I think I started out... Uh, it's kind of a. I've always been shooting like my entire life. Uh, I got a, you know, as with everyone, got their air rifle and everything. Uh, once I was a kid, I got. I traveled to Australia and worked cattle there for about a year, and uh, stayed with a man who was the world's like benchrest. Uh, I think he had like a few gold medals in benchrest, and uh, felt like competing was kind of fun. So I went home to Sweden. I was 2015, I think. Started shooting field shooting which is a Swedish field shooting is uh, it's like unknown distance, paper targets, no electronics. So you have to range them with your uh, reticle okay. and uh, yeah, paper targets out to like six or like 700 yards is max distance. Uh, so I started doing precision rifle slightly after that in 2016. I won the nationals in 17 in the field uh, shooting uh, thingy. And... Uh, then continued to develop the precision rifle scene in uh, Scandinavia. Founded uh, the Viking Rifle Series with a few other guys. That thing's gone now. I dropped it and uh, continued moving on with the IPRF. and Just kept on shooting while doing everything. That's pretty cool. The So the, so the field rifle deal, how big are those targets? Just curious. Oh, they're pretty big. I mean, since you you must range them with your reticle, uh, I'd say like uh, oh, they're a bit bigger than full mill targets on average. But sometimes they can be like a pretty tall but narrow. So like it's one that's uh, one is uh, shaped like a coffin, uh, which is the targets are a modern reference for like so they were supposed to be more civilian. But the way it started out was that they were. Uh, like normal military targets when you have a full silhouette and quarter and everything like that. But 
to make it more acceptable for the civilian shooting, they changed it into more like squares and rectangles and shapes like that. But they're 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 kind of big. Gotcha. Uh, but so the difference is the, the difficult is so usually they're shaped so they're bigger in the middle, like a diamond. Mm -hmm. So if you're not ranging properly, your wind has to be spot on. Okay, I got you. I like that. Um, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, that would be actually really fun. That's kind of like, almost sounds like uh, the hunter type of stuff over here. Well, not exactly, because you can use electronics and all that stuff, but it seems like a similar deal, but it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fun. I still try to do it every now and then, but with the whole precision rifle thing, world championships and everything around that, I, I haven't had much, as much time the past two years to shoot that discipline. Yep. So for everybody listening, um, we the reason why I'm having Marcus on here is because, uh, well, he's the only guy I know from that part of the world, which is pretty much just the other half of this the world europe and uh he's pretty dang good with a gun so uh and he's a founder of the international Pre precision rifle federation that that's um putting on this world championship so that uh i'm going to marcus is going to um we're sending a u.s team there they're sending teams from 24 different state of 24 different countries and uh we're all going to go shoot and try to see who's um kind of where everybody stacks up from each country and i think it's gonna be a lot of fun but uh so you say you're a founder of the iprf so what how did that come about i like, think it was back in like 20 like 17 or 18 mm -hmm. there was like this huge facebook facebook chat group uh, where they were trying to get a like a big European match, just a big invitational thingy, and, uh, and somehow we just kind of that thing went off the tracks pretty hard. And we're like, let's do a world championship, and then we had the Rob Ramston from South Africa and Tiff Dew from England, and we we're all kind of we kind of hijacked that uh, <laughs> that message board thingy. And started talking about let's do a world championship. And then we wanted to do it in 19, but we figured like creating the organization and hosting the world championship with with one year's notice wasn't going to happen. So we aimed for 2020. Well, we we all know what happened, and 21 wasn't better. So now we're here, 22, and um, it's not been the easiest way, but we ended up with. Uh, France after uh, we were supposed to do Hungary first, but there was a lot of issues, logistics and everything. We had a very nice range, you know, but and a war. it just didn't work out. Yeah, and, a, and a war, like tensions. We did this decision to switch to France after, like the, we did it this year, and there was a lot of tension because yeah, Hungary is bordering Ukraine. Yeah. And it's not, well, it was kind of good we switched probably. Yeah, no, I think it was a pretty solid idea not to go there. <laughs> Just because, I don't yeah. know. I, I mean, I know that uh, the that obviously it's not there, but, I mean, it's close. And then who knows for travel what that does to it and all kinds of stuff. So I'm sure it fa yeah. affects both sides of the border. 
Yeah, it for sure does. I know we lost a, a lot of teams from those from the Eastern European countries. I don't know how many, but a few of the military law enforcement teams for obvious reasons. Yeah. They just they can't can't really travel now. I got you. Uh, but but the French like the range in France, we shot that um, we shot that the French uh, precision rifle finale in uh, I think it was May. It was right like two weeks before I left for the U.S. or the week before. And uh, their range is solid. They had a few uh, kind of corny stages. Uh, I'd say like 70% of it was good. 30% of it was a bit like, you know, how it was back in the days, like way back when shooting out of straps and wobbly stuff. Yeah. But um, we're not going to have any of that. Like we requested a certain type of match for the world championship I, I i don't know what it is going to be like but we have a, a set standard that we requested and uh, i'm pretty sure they're going to follow it i hope they do because man we've talked about this um me and you've talked about this several times about uh um we've talked about well i just sent you a picture of the guy in the bathtub yeah. <laughs> so uh, for you guys listening, you can't see the 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 picture, but it's a guy sitting in a bathtub that is suspended by uh looks like cargo straps. Um and so basically a floating platform that's actually a bathtub and uh wow. Oh, what I'd give to never get in that thing and shoot a gun out of it. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think would be fun if you had it like on a small club match with ten buddies and you could just laugh it off. But I, I wouldn't say that it belongs in a modern match in like in twenty twenty two. Yeah, no, I don't think it does either. I mean, um, I think honestly, <clears throat> yeah, that doesn't it doesn't belong in a match because we, I mean. I feel like there's a couple of different mindsets that I've not, I've I've observed from from uh, match directors, and uh, the the one that usually puts on the best course of fire is the one that's just trying to make a fair and consistent course of fire. Now they decide the level of difficulty, and I'm cool with that. Like like you went to uh, um, the one that Beamer and uh, love put on down there in new mexico at the well, the federal match the the king of Cole canyon this year um that that match was even throughout the match director you never felt like the match director was trying to to do something that wasn't fair right it was it was pretty much like here's the targets here's the time limit these are the positions or the position just shoot the targets, go to the next stage, right? And it was just, and it was just even all the way across the board. It was very difficult. It was a it was a, one of the more difficult matches. Um, targets weren't big. Uh, it was fairly. It was about I thought about right on the time limit, so everything was pretty good. And uh, but then there's other matches where you show up and you feel like you're fighting. You're like in a dog fight with the match director the whole time. And they designed it that way. Like that's their idea. It was, is it's how it's them against us. And that's the wrong mentality. 
Yeah, that's a. I think it's kind of yeah. It's a totally wrong mentality. The uh, yeah, the match down. And I, I agree with you there. It was extremely balanced. Uh, it's. It, I didn't feel at all like there was any single stage that made the match. Like who who shy ever shot that stage the best won it. It was just you had to shoot everyone consistently because no one was extra difficult or extra easy. Yeah, because that's they were just all hard. That's generally what happens when match directors are or or like trying to get you is then they feel like they gotta they gotta they gotta take care of you on on four stages and then they gotta get you on one and then that they're four stages they they kind of like they're like oh we'll let them them win for a minute you know and all that does in my mind is create four throwaway stages and then one stage that matters then four throwaway stages and one stage that matters because i mean they're usually what happens is it's completely unbalanced um, because if the mass director just put gimmicky janky stages a hundred percent of the time nobody it would everybody would be pissed because it's not practical at all um, because there's like you couldn't even hardly shoot the match right I mean your yeah. guns wobble and, and in the long run I mean uh, usually what happens to those kind of matches in the long run is they stop is people stop going there and they die off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. Like, well, or they, or, yeah. Well, usually that's exactly what happens. Is people just don't show back up to them, and and because and it's not so much that it's hard, right? Because if it was consistently hard, right? If the and if it was and everything was fair, like if you showed up to a match and it was all one minute targets and positional, but yet the positions weren't like it wasn't one minute targets with the worst positions you've ever shot in your life, but they were all like practical positions, positions that you'd actually, you would use in the field and things like that, where, you know, it's doable to hit it, but it's tough to hit it. You know, then people are going to say the winner only gets 75%, but people might come back to that because it's like, Oh, you just know what you're getting into. The, the master director, um, advertises it as this is going to be a really difficult match, but it's going to be a very fair match. You know, it's going to be consistent across the board. You might, I mean, I think it's, that's better than when you get those ones where it's like, yeah, you get a, you get a wobbly or you, get, you get a shoot out of a, a bathtub. Let's see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I saw a match I know, I'm not sure cause since I run since I'm part of the IPRF, I, I'm friends with a lot of people on Facebook, and I think it was at this one time I got a it was like somewhere in my feed a picture of a bathtub that was not only you're supposed to shoot out from it, it was also filled with water. Oh boy, that was that was. Uh, I'm not sure if it was like kind of a satiric post that were kind of making fun of something or, or if it was an actual stage. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it was, you know, just for fun to mess I, with people. I hope so too. And not at a match. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. That's just, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully these, the, the people, um, there in France have listened to feedback and listened to recommendations from, um, you guys, because I'm assuming there's kind of a board and you're a member of the board. Yeah, well, I'm not. The only real position I have as of now within the IPRF is I'm a chairman of the technical committee. 
Okay. Uh, Rob's Rob's the vice president, and he does a lot of the heavy lifting. Okay. Um, but yeah, we we have like a council uh, council meetings every now and then where we all talk and you know get together and what's what we want. And, but the yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be good. Yeah, I'm I'm excited, and I like say I hope I hope they take some of the feedback that's been given to them and run with it and put on and just basically because it seemed like when i read um the course of fire from say may if they if they just got rid of three or four stages tweaked them or just completely made new ones that are better uh they wouldn't be a bad course of fire no no and, and given that the organization in france it's only i think it's not even two years old yeah, I mean they're they're heading in the right direction really fast. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, I know where we got in two years in the United States. I mean, granted, we didn't have anybody to look at right at the time. I mean, just kind of, and I say we, but I had nothing to do with it. But <laughs> I've I've seen where it was. I mean, even when I started, which was like the PRS had been around for uh, five or six years by then, I think. And uh, at that point, there were still matches putting um, that were that were out there that had some really pretty gimmicky deals. And uh, I just remember shooting them, and, and you would just have to, well... It was fun in the beginning because you don't because you you weren't really fighting for anything and uh, at the time the game hadn't progressed enough to really need them weeded out because uh, if you pretty much almost any match you went to uh, if you had a three on a stage or whatever that was not the end of the world um, because you were probably going to get a four or five on a couple other stages and still be able to win the match like I remember. And I'm not saying this is uh, gospel truth, but I just remember that, uh, like, when I started, um, if a guy broke 70%, like, he won the match, and he usually won by quite a few points. Then, now, fast forward to now, I feel like the courses of fire are harder than they were then, More, and they're more consistent, and guys are um, getting into the 90% which is, you know, they're anywhere from 85 to 90%. And that's... Uh, yeah, 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 totally. That, it's like just a, got better. We have, a, we have a set standard in Sweden that we try to pursue, at least among the big match directors, is that the winner is supposed to be anywhere between 85 and 95%. I mean, that that's actually in the PRS rule book. <laughs> is it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, we we actually found that. Well, didn't find it out. We just just saw it when we were looking at some stuff um, this past week. And yeah, it's recommended to be between eighty five and ninety five percent. And the idea is is that that if the winner is there, then it means that the match um, was practical enough and doable enough that the middle of the pack guys, um, it's not too difficult that they'll still be able to have fun. And keep everybody coming back, and I I can't agree more. I think that's that's about right. I think ninety five percent's a bit high, 
uh, I think 85. If you honestly keep it at 85, if you, if as a match director, if you shoot for 85, but end up the guy gets 90, you know, not a big deal. If you're shooting for yeah, 90, like last year we. Uh... Oh, sorry. Continue. No, I was just saying, if you're shooting for 90, most of the time they get into they get to 95, and then it's too easy, and you have no separation. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was last year they we have a match. Uh, I was talking about it's called. Uh, it's one of we got. I think we got three or four big matches in Sweden. And that's all we got. Like really big matches out in the field, not on a small square range. Uh huh. But anyway, so that's one of the top matches in Sweden. It's really good. It's like set up very nicely, just like New Mexico. It's uh, it's fair all over the board. It's not that it's not one stage that makes or breaks the match. And uh, last year they, it's usually quite windy out there, so they set target sizes up for being windy. And then when we got there on the morning, it was you never had. I think it was like one stage you had to hold uh, outside of the target, pretty much. So obviously, I think first place dropped four rounds in an entire match. Second drop like seven, and I drop eight, uh, <laughs> ending up third, which is kind of it was kind of stupid. I mean, it's, you well, shoot 130 courses of fire and you drop four rounds. I mean, he's a good guy. Dude's a good shooter for sure. But yeah, I mean, I yeah, I I have a tough time with those those types of course fire because. I mean, I went to a match the other day that I only dropped nine in, but I will say it wasn't because the course of fire was that easy. I feel like, um, and that was out of 200 rounds or something like that. Um, Holy shit, that's... Yeah, we, well, we just, it was a, it was a good couple of days and then, but the guy, the thing is, is Nick Gadarzy right behind me, he, he only dropped 10, so, and then you had a couple guys that were like, and then it dropped down to, I think, pinch drop 13 mm-hmm. so I'm, i mean but but i would i i don't think the course of fire was like like that easy there was there was one stage that didn't belong there was a you shot off a floating platform um and and uh this floating platform you started behind it like a floating platform can be somewhat okay if it's done right uh but you started behind it you start you shot three targets kneeling behind it then you got on the platform and you shot the targets on the platform and then you had to get standing on the platform there was some cargo straps tied between the two supports and you had to support your gun with that and then shoot the three targets and i'm telling you what i was wobbling and i i I don't you can't say mills it was filled the views Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you got up on there, that strap's uh, wobbling. You're moving on the platform. So it was it almost borderline dangerous because when I first got on there, all of a sudden I saw the skyline in my scope, and I went, oh, crap, I got to settle this. I settled it to like a T-post worth wobble, but it was, yeah. Those yeah, targets that's, that's didn't get difficult. hit very many times from that position. No. And that those are the types of positions and stuff. See, it didn't matter because – they, it was so difficult that like people, not very many people got them, anyways. So like I got, I I did not get any of those. And there's, I mean, there's a couple people that got those uh, a point or I think I heard of one guy they got two of them. Uh, but uh, but really, I think there was only 
Uh, I mean, uh, only a few people that even got one point from that strap. And, uh, I mean, it's pure luck. And and you don't want anything yeah, that you good. say is pure luck. Like, if there's anything that you're like, man, that's luck to hit that target. That's that's where, as a match director, you got to go, hmm, probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, and it's just so... Because shooting from s- s- stable positions like rocks and logs and things like that. So what they did with the, this year's Ostalman match is that they... I think they decreased the target sizes with like 15%. Okay. And so, which made a huge difference. Uh, like just 10, 15%. It's made a massive difference in a, on a hit ratio. So I, it was the national championship. And I think I, I walked away with first and I hit like 85%. That's perfect. And it was like, for a lot of us, they said this is the best balanced match we've shot to date. Because the target size with the wind was just phenomenal. Yeah, I think... And all it took was a target decrease of like 10 to 15%. Yeah, I feel like we try as as uh, shooters and match directors, we think we need to dec- or make the targets big enough that you can read the wind and all this stuff. And I feel like that's okay, but I think you just set a good size to where, to where if there was no wind, it would still be difficult, but it's not too difficult. Like a guy might get that 90%. Um, if there's no wind, but usually what happens is, is like New Mexico, if you look at New Mexico, it wasn't like there was no wind down there and those targets were tiny. Oh yeah. I think that the longest one was like, uh, when we did the troop line with Ipsix, uh, was it like 1190 and a 0.25 mil wide or something? Yeah. I think it was, I think it was 1190 and it probably was no bigger than 12 inches wide. Yeah. It was it was wild. I I think I know I dropped the last shot on the longest one, but as I dropped one round in the entire stage, and I was yep, me too. I could not believe uh, actually I <laughs> that I it. hit that long thing because you did. Wow, that's, I think I that's did. Wild. I either yeah, cleaned it. I, could pull I mean, you you have shot the match like significantly better than anyone else. So I, when I looked at the score, I wasn't even comparing myself to you. I was comparing myself to the second, third, and fourth. <laughs> I was like, nope. <laughs> Not gonna look at Morgan. This is just depressing. Okay, let's see how Clay Clay did and Austin and and Bushman. <laughs> the guys is like that's more reasonable. <laughs> well, you beat Clay. Well, yeah, he had a bad day. Everyone has. It's like you want to beat someone, you want to beat them at their best. Yeah, and I know. Clay did, was not in his. He he did not have his best day at the time. No, he had a bad match. I'm sure it, it happens to all of us. Oh yeah, no, it does. It definitely. You can't. Well. You try to, but you can't always be first. No, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, so I, I was, uh, I was looking when I got over over there. I was like, I want to be close to any of the. I had a set, like looked at the how many guys were going, and I was looking at the names. And I was like, I want to be close to these guys, or at least beat beat one of them. And I was pretty close to a few. And Clay was one of the guys who had like, I want to be close to him or beat him or any one of the other guys, but. He had a really bad match, and it didn't. I really couldn't feel good about beating him. I wish I could, but I don't. Yeah, um, I mean, well, you have to, you have to take your wins when you get them too, you know, because like yeah, that's true. I mean, I was shooting with him. He was he was having a bad day, but his gun wasn't. How about that? So. Yeah, well, it's rarely. Look, if you look at all the equipment we got, we got 
so pretty much everything in Sweden, like I run a foundation on an impact and a C comp and a foundation stock with the Arca rail over here is like $2,400. Is that 2400 US? Yeah, 2400 US. So once you pay for shipping, uh, yeah. 25% uh, tax over here, you got a 5% oh import gosh. fee and everything. So, And then the guy who brings them in has taken some risk and, you know, bring in yep. pretty expensive stocks. So you end up with a, yep. tw- I think I paid $2,200 for mine. Impact action gosh. was like 1800 So I, I don't know exactly how much you pay for it, but it's the, the type of equipment we got these days for matches i kind of feel like when anyone's like oh my gun doesn't work uh it was 0.4 off my zero and it's like dude you're running a sperm mount on a custom action in a two thousand dollar chassis and you say you're by bound like bumping your rifle into your like shoulder rest on your car or something you shifted your zero by 0.4 i mean no jesus Usually that's that's to do with something else, I, I think. So I've noticed that a lot from people. and Your brake can do it sometimes, but I think a lot of times what happens is, is um, like people's diopters move and stuff like that where they don't pay attention. Like me, I mark everything. I mark my diopter. Um, I mark pretty much everything. And, I mean, I can fly fly places, pull my gun out, and it's within usually less than a tenth of a mil. Most of the time, I don't even, I never touch my zero. I mean, I'll fly all over the place, and my zero won't shift the whole life of the barrel, generally, unless I take the brake off and put it back on. Yeah, that usually does, like a tenth here and there, for sure. Yeah, it's not much, but, but I mean, then I'll have to adjust my zero just a smidge, just because, you know, uh, you can try to put them back and I think I've, I don't know. I've thought about doing it. I just got a, I just got a deal from BJ. Um, the guy that makes, uh, the, uh, oh, the, the TMB, yeah, the, the brakes. Yeah. And he sent me a, a wrench with a, with a hole in it for a torque wrench. And I've been getting to start, um, torquing them consistent and that, that might actually do it. That might, make it to where it's but usually it's fairly consistent like a lot of times if it's already zeroed i'll put it back everything back together and it'll actually stay zeroed but it just kind of depends usually so i kind of like the 30 cal brakes just because uh i feel like it's more consistent on the zero yeah yeah i i I get you i picked up the the ace brake over there i stole one from andy's buddy Mm -hmm. and uh uh, it makes sense where you're saying torquing the because I mean you torque your stock screws, you torque your rings, you torque your barrel, you torque everything, but you don't torque your brake. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you? I mean, it's it's one of those things. I I don't torque my brake to be honest, but I mark it so it's it's in the exact same spot at least. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've always I've always clocked my brake. So when they were telling me about it, I was like, dude, look at my brake. It's already kicked off to the side. They're like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, but good idea. But yeah, no, I mean, it is a good idea. It is a good idea. I mean, just but to have the marks and stuff. I think I have one of those brakes. They're not bad. No, I, I like it because uh, I, I had um, I had some issues because I ran that because I borrowed Andy's gun for the match uh-huh. in Mexico and it had the ace brake on and I usually when I shoot angled brakes backwards. Uh, 
I get a bad he- headache. Uh-huh. And it, I can do a one-day match with an angled break, but if I do a two-day match, uh, I, I get this. You know, it, it's a, it's a bad, pretty bad headache. And I didn't from that break, and I and I didn't feel like the the because it, it doesn't reduce recoil as much as my previous angled break. It's pretty close. It keeps the muscle down very good, but it feels like I can stay more more focused for a, a longer amount of time. Because uh, it doesn't affect my uh, my head as much as the angled one. Yeah, there's not as much gas coming out of the sides of those, so it's way way better on that. Um, yeah, but it, n- not everyone has that issue. I got it. I got a pretty bad concussion after shooting uh, forty or fifty rounds with a bullpup Desert Tech fifty cal, and after that, it got worse. Oh gosh, that sounds horrible. Um, yeah, it was pretty horrible. I, uh, <laughs> I I felt the concussion for about uh, six days. Wow. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. That I was I was, I was getting fun. scared it was going to be permanent. So like six days into it, I was like, "Holy shit, am I going to have to live with this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you do you wear like in ear and um, over the ear? No, I just use uh, over the ear with gel, and if I choose any anything that's angle, that the uh, any bigger caliber, I use uh, both in ears and over the ear. What over the ears do you use? Uh, it's a German brand. It's called Mepa Blue. Uh, they're like five hundred dollar uh, ear pro. Are they pretty good? Oh yeah, they're like I used Sordins with the gel before, mm-hmm. and it's they're nowhere near. Like Sordins are way behind. It's like Comparing a pair of eBay head uh, Air Pro to the Sordins, this is another step up. It's uh, serious because that's what I just. I have some Sordins. Yeah, have a look at it. I'll send you a link. I don't know if you, if or where you can get them in the U.S. They're made in Germany. It's not. It, they're not marketed for like commercial use. They're more like a, a professional set. Uh, but I can see. I can see. I can get you a link. Shoot, you two se- two seventy. Really they're not even that much. They're not even that expensive. God damn it! Everything's cheaper over there. Oh, here's you probably have the the uh, hearing protector Mepa Blue Target Deluxe too, which is yeah, five eighty. Oh, sh- it's even then it's more expensive there than here. Yeah, that's the one. But then I got. they have the hearing protector Mepa Blue Profi to soft gel, and they're four forty three. But the the silencer plus soft gels are two seventy. Yeah, I think the only difference between them is how much, um, like the hearing, uh, what you call it, like the electronic thingy. Yeah, the sound suppression. Yeah, it, no, this not the suppression. Is like you can ampl like the amplifier of sound. So I think the basic ones have a ten on on the scale. I don't know how the scale works. And when you move up to a more expensive one, I think they go to thirty, no, to twenty on the the ones I got. And then if you go up another step, I think they're up to forty. But those are for people that. Uh, uh, already have a, like bad ears, like can't hear a lot. Hmm. Pretty sweet. I'm not gonna lie. I. Well, they're not bad. I used the 20s a lot when I'm hunting because, well, I hear better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are. Yeah, I'll have to look into them because that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's cool. No, you should. You gotta yeah. let me know how you like them if you get a pair. Yeah, no, I, well, I have the pair from, I think they're made in Sweden, aren't, aren't, aren't Sordens made in Sweden? 
or not Sweden. Uh, uh, yeah, it's either Sweden or somewhere. I think Sordens. I think Sordens are from Sweden, to be honest. Uh, yep. British. I'm pretty sure. I'm not a hundred percent, but like ninety five. Me neither. But they are. They are way nicer than like the Walkers I have. Not saying that the Walkers yeah, are bad. It's just. But you put the Sordens on, and like I'm not looking for amplification, but it's. I'm just looking for something to to keep the sound out and then also sound somewhat clear and not be horrible in the wind. And the Sordens seem to yeah. be pretty similar to not having anything on. And uh, like the walkers, when I put them on, like it just picks up every little noise everywhere. And and so if as long as there's no wind, they're fine. If there's wind, yeah. it sucks. Walkers are those the ones? Uh, which ones are those? So they're an American brand. They're not that. They're not that expensive. Uh, the reason why I have them is I got right. Bluetooth in them. So for okay. like a hundred and forty bucks is all they're They have Bluetooth, and you can answer phone calls when you're like practicing or whatever. So that's why I have them. Oh, nice, nice. Now, because over here we make a little bit of fun when we see guys over in the U.S. They have a full-out custom rifle shooting, like I don't know, A-tips or burgers or whatever. And then you see them with those, you know, eBay Air Pro that says Impact on them, and you're like, dude, you spent equivalent of two or three months' wages in Sweden, and you buy a fifty-dollar set of Air Pro. Yeah, no, they. Uh, that's actually those are very popular over here. The Impact ones, yeah, or, or the I, or. I what else is there? There's some other ones. I don't know. I used foamies for the longest time until I started shooting six mm-hmm. five again. And uh, this brake, um, the tuner actually keeps the muzzle blast from hitting you. So for the longest time, I didn't need anything besides just foamies with like my dasher. But the six five, it puts enough out there to where it's definitely more taxing on you and like. Like, I only shot the 6.5 the first year I shot, you know, that's about all. I shot it for the first year, and back then, you know, I didn't shoot near as much, and it wasn't as big a deal, and I just wore, you know, foamies back then. And then I switched over to a dasher right after that, and then I've been shooting the dasher for quite a long time, like four years or something like that. And uh, so I shot that, and then last year I started switching back and forth between a 6.5 and the Dasher, and that 6.5, um, I didn't really notice it at first, but I started realizing that I was getting headaches afterwards, um, after two days of shooting it, and then I, as soon as I put um, over-the-ears on, I don't even need to double up, but putting over-the-ears on um, protects my, like, my external ear a lot better, and I don't get the headaches I'll still double mm-hmm. up and just turn the swordens like all the way up and then put the, the foamies in and yeah. I can still hear decent and, uh, um, yeah, you dang sure don't get a headache that way. Yeah. I usually put a foamy on my right ear and, and in case I bump it towards the stock or something. Not a bad idea. A little bit. That's not a bad idea either. Jeez. No. Well, <laughs> not as stupid as I look. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, but that's good. So I'll, I'll be, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm, I think you wrote down a few questions. I don't know if you've already answered them, but I, I keep getting a, a few questions about the worlds every now and then. Uh, did you have any ones that 
that I could help out with or anything? Yeah, so or have we already covered that? We've kind of covered them in a in a conversational format, I guess. Um, most of them. Uh, what are some of the questions you had? And I'll I'll try to think of a couple of the other ones I have. Some of the questions, because uh, it's kind of on. I'm not like a lot of people ask, like because during the match in France, we weren't allowed to low, uh, top off our max with more than 10 rounds. You were allowed to bring 12ers or 14ers, but you weren't allowed to put more than 10 into them. And uh, so a lot of people asked me if it's illegal to have more than 10 round magazines into France, which apparently it's not. I'm just not sure if you can top them up with like 12 or 14. I'm not 100% sure about that. That is interesting. I You would think that that if you if you're allowed to have one you should be able to use it right yeah i, I yeah i figured that too but for the match in may they said was like you're allowed to have a 12er but you can't put in more than 10 and they would enforce it and so no one did but i never really asked why it's but europe is full of strange gun laws so so was you're there not only anymore, really yeah was there only 10 round stages not sh- I think there were like a few twelves maybe. So they 14. just so you you could you could just switch to mag while transitioning if you plan like you put six into one and six into the other or something. Yep. But there was a lot of ten eight or ten round stages. Yep. And I've heard so what's the round count on this? Do you do you remember? I think it's one uh, one somewhere around one eighty plus minus five rounds. Yes, yeah, somebody said yesterday 172, um, but I don't know that that's Maybe. a confirmable uh, number. It could be. Uh, so just, let's just say anywhere between 170 and 185. I haven't obviously not seen the matchbook, so I can't really say the exact amount, but I think somewhere in the 170 region is what was last discussed, but I'm not 100% sure, but it's not going to be... I don't think it will be over 180. So, so 172, if that was the latest number you heard, that's probably correct. I'm I'm bringing 250, I think, and then, well, I was going to bring bring 300, but then I'm like, gosh, do I need that money? But I'm just going to bring. The two- thing is that you can't bring live ammo with you back. I know, but I figured I'll just give it to somebody. I'm going to give somebody yeah. my whoever wants my brass, they can have it because, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to leave it over there. All right. I was told. It's, it's, I told it's way it was easier a good advertisement. The, it is. Same with bags and brakes and everything. Because one of the things that you see over in Europe is that one of, at least one of the reasons people are a bit late to jump on trends, like with calibers and and equipment, is well, as I said previously, uh, foundation stock is twenty four hundred dollars with tax, obviously, but so it's kind of. You want to try something out before you spend double the money from the U.S. So if you leave equipment behind that's not commonly available in Europe, it's really good advertisement. Then I might be doing that. So people in my squad might be pretty excited about it. Probably. I mean, well, so what brass are you running? Uh, Alpha, small rifle oh, nice. primer. Nice. Stuff's pretty good. Nice. It's not. Um, pretty good it's a bit of an understatement isn't it yeah no it's it's honestly <laughs> i don't think you can get any better uh lapu is really good and and uh well i shoot for capstone so 
so like I like and and I shoot for for alpha so it's kind of like you know uh it's not a bad like I can choose either one and they're both good I just the alpha I really like those guys they're they're here in Utah and they do a really good job the QC on that stuff is pretty pretty top notch so you don't have to worry about um pretty much when you know that the whole pretty much if you order 500 pieces they're all the exact same you can put them on a scale and they usually weigh within 0.2 grains like it's they're pretty yeah. pretty pretty dang good and yeah i'm with you that they're great guys i, I met them back in 2019 on shot show and had a few beers with them yeah and man those guys were a blast they're fun they're good dudes they're they, just, they were a lot of fun I, I yeah i mean like don't get me wrong i i and they're the same way they understand lapua is really good stuff uh and like they said they told me they're like you know we 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 know that they're the gold standard you know but uh but we were wanting to change that and we know that's a a pretty uh aggressive move but uh eventually we'd like to get there so and well, if you aim for that you're eventually going to get there i mean uh, so by the sound of it they they're already there yeah they they're there i mean there's a pretty good argument that they're the best brass manufacturer out there um but like say either one is good cuz the, the nice thing about the alpha guys is like they they usually make something that like the other guys don't like a dasher you can go buy dasher brass you can buy seven saw brass you know you can get get stuff that like say lapua doesn't make and then you can get some of the stuff that lapua does make and then you just make your own decision yeah I wish Alpha was more avail- commonly available over here. I know there's a, a buddy of mine who runs a store who's going to bring in some Dasher brass, so I might try that out. So I'm currently running a BR, just a straight BR. And, yeah. But uh, like my, my rule of thumb is if Lapua doesn't make brass for it, I'm not going to chamber a barrel in it. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. But the that's the nice thing. You see, now, now you can kind of change that philosophy just a little bit to include Alpha. Exactly. And that's exactly they're just gonna they're, it's gonna be kind of pricey but i mean what the hell i forget uh, about that you, you can run it for you can run it run it for a long time i mean if you just pick it up for for all i know uh, like i run my lapua brass until i the only way i i uh, change out brass if if i can't find it at a match if i if i drop 10 cases at a match i'll just put in 10 new and that way it just keeps rotating it around and I've never so far had a primer pocket get uh, loose on me. Yeah, now the primer pockets are a touch, touch uh, tighter in the alpha, so they put a bevel in it. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is All that right. that the bevel blows out, and um, after about the first, so the first time you try to stuff a primer in there, good luck. It's like a, it's, <laughs> you, you got to do some stuff to get her in there. But once you get it in there and you fire it one time, it loosens it up just enough to where now it's like, like any other piece of brass, brand new. And then, oh, right. And yeah. it, and, and then it stays there for a long time and it'll slowly get looser. 
but it won't ever get like loose loose like i know i've ran some lapua stuff and like again nothing against lapua but i've i've run some lapua stuff to where all of a sudden um like i can't feel it on my on my progressive seat very uh tightly which is fine i still shoot it no problem but i you just can't feel it as much where you always have to push it in on the alpha stuff so yeah, yeah i get that now we'll we'll see i'll try to i don't know bribe someone in the u.s team who might happen to shoot uh, alpha brass and uh, get some dasher alpha try it out yeah um well i think i don't know but I, as long as if if uh you you might want to just hit up austin clay tate one of those guys because uh They'll probably be just leaving everything on the ground. Yeah, I uh, I talked to Austin uh, briefly about it and said we can talk about it because uh, I was kind of on the go, but I said we can talk about this later. But he was he was up for the idea. I'd love to try it out. I mean, I think most of those guys are. Well, I know I know that the Alpha Boys told me leave it on the ground, and I'm like, no, I don't I'm not doing that. And they're like, no, seriously, it's leave it on the ground. I was like, okay, fine. Tell somebody no, in your don't squad. Don't leave it on the ground. Pick pick it up and give it to someone. He's like, because <laughs> if you leave it on the ground, it's going to the trash can. Well, I know, but he's he's like, tell somebody in your squad they'll pick it up and keep it. I was like, all right, that's fine. So if they speak English, I'll try to try to give it to somebody in my squad, and they can just pick it up, put it in their own bag. Most guys in Europe speak pretty good English. Uh, obviously, the British do. It would be strange if they didn't. Yeah. But, uh, the but, other countries are pretty good as well. Norwegians are decent. Uh, French are, some of them are all right. But, I mean, you you get around pretty good. There's a very few people that uh, will not understand you. I've heard the French do not take kindly to foreigners. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I uh, They're not very talkative, but they understand you. And when we went to restaurants, obviously, I don't know a word of French, more than like merci, and uh, I don't know, that's about it. Uh, I, I learned how to order a bottle of wine, but I forgot about that once I got home. But they were really, you know, helpful in what way they could. But I think they're, I think they're not, they don't want to use English because they're kind of subconscious about how they would sound if they, they don't want to make a fool okay. out of themselves yep. if they pronounce yep. things wrong. So that's one of the reasons they don't use it. They're and just, that's also one of the reasons that they're not good at it. They're just kind of, I'm guessing, uh, kind of vain in that way. Just They just don't want to sound dumb. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons. Even and though we're the ones that sound the guys, dumb they, when we show up. Yeah, we try to speak French. Sibo play. Merci beaucoup. Bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> sound like Brad Pitt and Glorious Bastards. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they're not, they're not, most of them under, will understand you, even if they don't really respond, they'll kind of, they'll know what you mean. And most of them will respond in some way. Uh, I know the, one of the match directors who run this from Philippe, he's, uh, we all agree on that his English is pretty good. Uh, you heard him on the shooter's mindset. It's yep, not bad, yep. but if you ask him, he'll say his English is horrible and he, you can barely understand him. Oh, that's just because that's, I guarantee, see, yeah, I see what you're saying because he can speak it fine. It just, he's just subconscious of how he sounds, I think. Huh? 
I think so too. It's uh, probably, but it's not. It's not a big problem. Uh, the town itself, uh, beach where the match is uh, held, just outside of. Uh, I mean, it's a friendly, nice town. People are nice. Uh, it's been Germany like four times in the past 150, 200 years or something. I think it was four times. So you see a, a lot of mixed in, mixed in uh, like buildings, like how the buildings are made. Like, so you see some are, look traditionally German and some look more French. Depends on when they're made and which country occupied the area at the time. Oh, really? Yeah, because if you accidentally send one off the hip in like a 30-something degree angle towards the German border, you can count on it's going into Germany. <laughs> I just don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, like you see, I World World War Three is like first one was uh, assassination of that duke, and then you got World War Two. The Archduke World War Three was started by Morgan King. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna kill the next Archduke and start World War Three. Yeah. No, so we're pretty close to the border. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a nice town. Uh, everyone's gonna enjoy themselves there. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Um. So. Are you driving? Yeah, most of the like. How far is it for flights you? Flights in Europe now. If for me, it's about an eighteen-hour drive, so it's not that bad. Gosh, that's horrible. Uh, I live just outside. Of, I just live just outside of Stockholm, so I'll drive like a quarter of the way down to a buddy of mine and spend the night there, and we'll just make a trip out of it. But. Uh, Air traffic right now in Europe is kind of horrible, especially with uh, luggage. Because when I got back from the U.S., I think it was like three out of our four bags were missing. Really? And it's and it's not really gotten any better. So, <laughs> wow. Everyone, everyone's in Sweden is driving. Even the guys who live like far up north. They, I got an eighteen-hour drive. These guys up at the furthest, they probably got a good thirty, thirty-two hour. Wow, they're still driving. Wow, that's that's just, a long. Just drive. to be sure, but yeah, it's a long drive, but it'll be worth it. I mean, it's nice to have a car in the region because rental cars in France are stupidly expensive. I think we ended up paying for five days and, and a small, you know, Sprinter van with six seats in it or something. Yeah, I think we ended up with about eighteen hundred dollars for five days. Holy smokes! Yeah, I think we just got how many people were in that sprinter van? Could you fit? I think you had you know you could you had two rows of three seats in the back and and the front seat as well. So I think it was like a eight person. Pretty sure that's what we got, and I think it costs us yeah about twenty two hundred bucks for the whole time. Yeah. So yeah, because I can figured, count on also when you get there, they're gonna tell you, well, you need insurance. Yeah, well, I think France, we already you did need it. Insurance. Every car looks like shit. Uh, yeah. Everything's dinged up. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, I don't know. We, I don't know exactly. How many are I you driving in? Are you, how many of, of you, us. did three you get the entire, three of you? Okay. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we got a bunch of luggage. So, I mean, we figured if we get a, um, so we have two vans. So, there, we have an Airbnb we're staying in that's got three bathrooms or whatever. We, we had to hunt to find one with enough bathroom well just more than one bathroom there was one that was like 12 beds one bathroom we're like and so finally somebody was like uh we should change that i was like oh that's a great idea so we got now we have one that's like eight beds but three bathrooms 
and there's six of us going or staying in it and uh and there and we have three vans between the two of us Mm, yeah so that makes more sense yep how many people from go ahead sorry continue just how many people i was just curious how many people from sweden are going i think we're 24 so we're you got filled out every division yeah we only have two ladies that's the only thing okay so we're we're two two people uh, short of a full team. I think we're close. I think, but we're we're like five or six. But we have. I think we have. The only one that was tough for us was to get factory guys. The yeah. three hundred eight thing was kind of. It it looks like it's been a crap show because uh, uh, I just saw it was they were supposed to supply ammo but then didn't get an ammo sponsor or something. And so now all of a sudden they're not yeah. supplying ammo and they just told everybody three with three weeks to go really two weeks. Yeah. I, I remember that I was, um, it was kind of a, uh, I don't know how to say it. I was in the middle of that thing. I didn't have anything to do with the sponsor, but we were supposed to have an ammo sponsor. That was the thing from the beginning. I don't know how they prioritized that thing, but currently in Europe, I guess it's the same in the rest of the world. It's an extreme shortage of ammunition. Yep. Yep. Like extreme. Like if I want to go, I can't go into a store and buy a jug of Vitavoria 150 because it's all sold out and expected delivery date is like Q4 23. Yeah. Yeah, no. So try so trying to get an uh, an ammunition manufacturer and it's like, hey, we need eight thousand rounds sent to France, and they're like, you kidding, right? Like, yeah, we don't have eight thousand rounds. I know and we're not going to have it for years. I know, and that's that's exactly kind of what I was thinking. But but it looks like I mean I don't know. My thing was is why didn't they just put why didn't they say you could just bring your own ammo anyways? I don't understand that. I think the thought from the beginning was that you wanted to have have an ammo like a big ammunition. And we had this was the plan from the beginning, like last year, that you wanted to have a certain uh, sponsors for certain things. You have stage sponsors, you had an ammo sponsor, and all things like that. And you wanted a manufacturer to step in with factory ammo uh, as a sponsor thing. Uh, I don't know really why this was voted within the organization and it got the majority vote. Uh, gotcha. I mean, so it would make a very I guess the idea is not bad. Yeah, the idea wasn't bad, but it wasn't practically doable with the with how it's uh, currently in Europe with ammunition. Yeah, yeah. I just don't. I I just if it was me, I'd want to load my own ammo. Probably. That being said, like I'm probably gonna end up maybe shooting for an ammo manufacturer. But, uh, and, but yeah, I, I mean, that's still yeah. on the, on the fence, but, but, uh, but yeah. they load like, uh, a hand, like by hand, everything, every round, you know? And so it's yeah. like to the kernel, everything. It's kind of like clays, but not clays. How about that? Yeah. I heard clay stuff is pretty good. I talked to Andy about it. Um, and I think he shot that for the PRS finale because he didn't have time to load. Clay stuff yeah. is his hand so ammo. Yeah. 
it's apparently very good. like it was really good hand loaded as well. Yeah, no, it's apparently, it's good good stuff. And I because I mean I've talked to Clay about a bunch and Clay does a really good job of loading ammo and so like the company I'm gonna end up if I end up shooting it I they're basically gonna be all military and maybe a little bit of hunting so more contract type work um but like clay the nice thing about clay is is you can call clay up and send him your components and he'll load it all for you or or you can just buy clay's load um and he'll he'll do it so he's like a he's like a custom a factory custom load type deal where it's not really does he also do load development for you you can you can send your rifle in there as well and if you have an impact you just send him a barrel that's pretty cool yeah no it's not a bad deal like or i mean if he had a lone peak sitting there you could just send him a lone peak barrel he honestly should think about getting at all the actions because then you could just send him your barrel yeah that wouldn't be a bad idea i mean because there's a usually what what is it they say like the uh, a lot of money and time doesn't go hand in hand. That's right. So if you have a lot of money, you probably don't have time to reload. And that's exactly how it is. And so, and there's a lot of guys that would love to shoot, but they can't. They can't reload that much. But I mean, say a guy says, "Well, here you you send me your stuff and a dollar around. I'll send you send it all back to you." And then you're thinking, "Man, mm-hmm. maybe that's not a bad idea." So you go to a match and you're basically 200 bucks um, to have yeah. somebody load it for you on top of what you were already going to spend, but you didn't have to do it this time and, and you were able to not do anything and just show up and shoot. And so, yeah, you might not want to practice that way. You might want to figure out a different way to practice, you know, but uh, like, cause me, I mean, I've got, you know, I can load my practice ammo like stupid fast because of the way I have it set up. Um, and I skip all kinds of steps doing that, but I'm just practicing, right? Yeah, yeah. I run everything on all my practice ammo on a Dillon 750, and yeah. just jank them through there with the powder measure and everything. That's exactly I what I do. Just dust the cases with uh, Hornady one shot and run them through like fast. I got an extreme spread of like ten meters a second, maybe doing that, which is thirty. That's not I don't bad. Know how much that? yeah 30 feet maybe it's uh it's pretty good i mean it's it's good enough for practice in any match that's out to five six hundred i'd say yeah that's what mine that's what mine is honestly i think i'd trust it to a thousand <laughs> i mean my yeah. my dasher I shot the nationals that like stuff that. Up. oh really yeah, yeah so you see you yeah, won, I, uh, you won the nationals yeah. that way right yeah uh, i i had a i had a different powder measure though but i, I loaded everything like like that with a with a powder measure and just uh, not like with the auto trickler because I didn't have time. I think I got back from something two days before or the day before, and I was like, I do not have time to do 200 rounds on the auto trickler because this was the day before the match. Oh well, that's what I do usually. <laughs> that's my no- yeah. That's my go. It, it works out. I mean, just I think, the day before. I think people, yeah, <laughs> I think people stare stare too much at their extreme sped and SDs. I mean, I'd, I'd rather have like a 20 or 25 feet ES. And have a stupidly tight group, than have a, a bigger group and low SDs. Oh, usually, I've... like the points are made within seven, eight hundred yards anyway, and like a twenty feet per second ES isn't going to get you anywhere closer. Oh yeah, 
I mean, I'll take. I, I mean, I'll always take a a a twelve ES in a in a tight group, but most of the time, you know, like that's that's a lot of work. Like people don't realize that's all brass prep to me, like to get to get everything perfect. And so, but I mean, most of the time, my my match gun somewhere around sixteen ish, but like if I show up and it's twenty five. I'm not going to worry about it. I mean, I might change no, it later I mean, and try to fix that, but uh, I'm not going to worry. No, it's not. The, the, if you worry about those kind of things at a match, you're definitely not going to win. Because I, when I went down to France in May, I don't know what happened, but it shot really good when I left Sweden. And then I went down to France and I was, went down through the zero day and zero the rifle and just short shot just shy of an inch like 20 like not close to like between three quarters like three quarters of an inch two centimeters yeah pretty much two two centimeters you said 20 so i didn't know if you're gonna finish that with like 25 or... yeah tw- 20 20 millimeters pretty much so that's yeah that's about and when i left sweden it's, yeah and i left sweden it shot like six millimeters and i have no idea what happened but I just shot the match like the rifle, believing the rifle shot as good as it did when I was home. Oh yeah, and uh, ended up winning the match. I ended up like, I don't know if I by had a little bit, right? Ten. I think I had tw- ten or fifteen points to second and thirty points to third or something. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, if you guys, I know, uh, if you guys are listening and don't haven't figured this out by now. Uh, there's a pretty good argument to make to claim that Marcus is the best um, shooter in Europe. You won the Europe well, Championships this year too, so there is a little bit behind it. Am I right? Well, I, some well some days I'm the best, other days I'm not. But you know, as with everything. Well, at least this year you were the best. Yeah, the, the, yeah. This year's been good. I won the match in France, and I won the nationals this year. So it's been doing pretty good. I ended up fifth on this last match because, uh, well, apparently you're supposed to reset your windage turret when you're moving from an 800 yard stage to one that starts out at 200. Yeah, generally, I. That's why, if you're smart, you don't dial wind. Yeah, I, I I've started to dial a little bit once because it was kind of windy. That's because uh, so you, guys went, were two, you went you went somewhere. 2. When you were in the United States, right? Yeah, somewhere. And I saw a lot of guys talking about, oh, there's dialing. A, I was talking to Andy as well. I saw people dialing a little bit of, like, if they do a wind call, it's between 1 and 2.5, like a 1 or 2 mil that dial 2, like dial a 1. I was like, huh, that makes a lot of sense. And I did that on day one, and it worked out pretty good. But I just don't have the routine to reset the <laughs> the turret, so... Yeah, kind of went around and bit me in the ass. Yeah, no, I. We were doing like on one of the stages at this match this weekend. That was it was a five hundred and thirty meter target or five fifty, which is like what five eighty yards. Guys were holding two point eight mils of wind. Yeah, but you have a two point eight mark, right? Yeah, I was just. Uh, yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense, but you know, trying new stuff at matches is what you're supposed to do, right? No. <laughs> you know, I'll dial very, very rarely. I mean, 
uh, I will dial, but uh, I I don't prefer it. You know, when I hear about yeah, like I don't know. I I just it's like I'll do it on a static target, and I will dial the exact amount of wind. And then if I need to make a correction, yeah. I'll make the correction. I do it sometimes on a KYL or whatever, but like you know, if if uh, I'm shooting most of the time i just dial the elevation and i hold the wind because then i can i can keep track of it and i don't have to worry about it but i also i check my turrets i mean even if i don't dial i check them before every stage yeah i just i remember hearing that on one of your podcasts yeah i don't i because because i do dial from time to time right so and i don't want anything to be to go off so and it's nice on the leopold i have a cap so if I dial my wind, the cap stays off and it goes in my front pocket. Um, mm-hmm. And then if I, if I, uh, as soon as I put it back to zero, then I put the cap back on. So I know if the cap's on, it's zeroed. But if I dial wind that day, you'll see me taking the cap off every now and again, putting it back on. And that's why. It's because I'm just worried yeah. that I'm still going to forget and and I just have a routine yeah. that yeah. I go through at every stage. So I'm going to have to start with that. No, I usually just dial if there's a static target. I'll dial a little bit. So it's like I, I'm, I'm guessing it's like a 0.5 to 0.7 wind. I'll dial 0.5 and start out with that. But if there's like a troop line, I usually don't dial at all. But Which was like I went from a static 820-meter target to doing a troop line type of thing and forgot to zero it. I figured it out after like six rounds. Because there weren't any backdrop which you could see the bullet landing in, so I was like, "What the fuck's going on?" Yep, that will do it. And well, you're not you're not better than your worst decision, or what? What, what is it that they say? Uh, you're you're only as good as your worst decision, right? Or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like something that. Something like that. So did a poor decision, and well, learned from it. But yeah, but other than that, it's been it's been a pretty good year. I think I've had that's the only time I've not been first this year in Europe. I think pretty dang good. Oh yeah, I'm happy with it. That's what I'm saying. There's a pretty, pretty good argument for it. So I mean, like you, uh, you know your stuff. Well, at times, if I remember to drink water. Yeah, drinking water. I, I will say, <laughs> and electrolytes. So I mean. I don't know what the weather is supposed to be like in France, but I'll have a lot of electrolytes with me. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's probably going to be hot. I mean, it's France is usually warm this type of this time of year, and I went out the other day. We had like a hundred or hundred and five degrees Fahrenheit, and I went out to the range just to see how my ammo would behave if it was left in the sun. Or and this was like in that. Sweden, hundred and five yeah, degrees. Yeah, it's in Sweden. That's yeah, it was freaking nuts. It, it was cooking. Oh, I was cooking. Barrel was cooking. Yeah, I'll bet. Shoot, 105 is hot anywhere. Yeah, it's uh, way outside of my comfort zone. But it was pretty good. I mean, the the ammo went from... I run my BR pretty slow with the A-tips. And it went from, like, in the car, 20 degrees Celsius, uh, to that it ran 860 meters a second. And uh, left it outside in my... In my bag, it went up to like eight. It just went up like one or two meters a second, just ambient temperature. And then I left it all out open in the sun, 
and the ammo got is so hot that it was unpleasant to touch. And he went up to like 825. Okay. So which is an increase of what? Eight or nine, eight meters a second. Beyond the already eight feet per eight meters. Now I started. I started up at off with like average what I loaded for, like twenty degrees Celsius. Uh huh. Do Fahrenheit more than I remember what it was yesterday since I talked to another guy about it. So, from that up to being unpleasant to touch, it gained eight meters a second. Okay, so still not that bad. Somewhere around yeah. twenty-five feet per second. Yeah leaving it out in the sun in like 105 degrees so that was 40 yeah. degrees celsius yeah so that's that's a that's a big swing in in what is that that's about a 30 um 30 30 and that's the that's the hardest for a um that swing in temperature is the hardest for any powder to stay stable oh really so like if you go over a certain number it gets you know more sensitive uh yeah, like usually from anywhere in like seventy degrees, which I th- I'm guessing is twenty, uh, mm-hmm. to like ninety. Uh, that's like the toughest swing right there. Interesting. Yeah, usually once you get below that, it stays pretty stable. Once you get above that, it's decent. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I we don't usually. Well, most of the air isn't that warm, so we don't do a lot of testing on it. Yeah, but I bet I bet I bet your loads are pretty consistent from seventy. I mean, you know what it, I'm. I know Sweden's not real warm, and so or generally, but uh, I'm guessing that that uh, it stays pretty consistent below seventy degrees. Yeah, I don't change it all over the year. It's just you know it's within the extreme spread pretty much. Yeah, mine, mine. mine I thought I had a swing. Um, with the N160, and I actually didn't. I, my barrel had just sped up at a certain time because I went and tested it twice because I was worried. So, so what, what, what charge are you running with the 160 in the Creedmoor? Uh, f- about 41 grains. Oh, all right, yeah. And you're getting what, 20, 2800? Uh, no, no. Uh, well, I'm running, I'm running, uh, 156s. Oh shit! Yeah, I forgot about that. So I'm like twenty six eighty. Yeah, that's a uh, same speed as I'm getting with the BR. Then yeah, it's uh, it makes sense. Heavy bullets, slow is the way to go. At oh least yeah, according to me. No, I think honestly, it just it's so it's just a lot. It's a lot of bullet going out of the barrel, but it's pretty easy to see. So I don't really worry about it. And I hear people talk about trace, and I just laugh. Yeah, I, I was I was BS. so relieved when you talked about that because uh, I've listened to guys on podcasts talking about how they see trace and everything. I've been pretty clear about this on my own podcast, and anyone who's listening in English, don't worry about looking it up because it's in Swedish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, if unless you want to learn Swedish, it might be a bad way to do it. But anyway, so we a lot of guys in Sweden listen to this, and it's like, oh, you see trace this and that, and tra- trace here, and you read on it forums and people see trace all the time and i started actually trying to learn how to see that trace and spent a significant amount of rounds until i was like if that shit i'm not gonna do it because obviously i'm not i can't do it like if i'm prone on uh, during the right conditions yep. i can see it but yep. i stopped looking for it and everything just got better 
that's exactly what I tell people. And so I guess, I mean, yeah, I feel like the, I feel the exact same way. I mean, it's just, if you're in the right conditions on the right prop at the right time, it's usable. And, and I'm not going to tell people that, that you shouldn't use that information, right? If you see it, then great, go ahead and use that information, but don't, but don't sacrifice, um, the other better information for that little piece Mm -hmm. because it's cool right there's like this there's a temptation because it is really cool to see it so there's this temptation to to look for it all the time and i feel like that's pretty big mistake for sure so what are you doing uh to practice enough for france are you doing anything more or just doing same old same old um so well, we talked about this a little bit. I'm probably going to figure out at least where my zero is on its side, just to see. And uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not. And I'm also going to figure out what happens to my zero when when my barrel is touching a prop, and see if that yeah. changes Another on thing I'm wood not and do. metal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just want to make sure, just because. I mean, you said it, you did it. So you had to do that. And I've never seen, I've never seen what happens to my gun when it's zero, when, or to it's zero, when it's, uh, like barrel on a prop and never, yeah, never happened. I've never done that. I don't ever No, it was it just either. this, uh, no, I wasn't very, very happy with that. It was this really small porthole and the stock in the barrel would fit through, but then I couldn't see anything through the scope. And, so I saw guys doing it on the side, and I was like, no, that's not happening. I'm going to put the barrel on it and use the tripod rear and just aim low. And I got both hits, which was extremely surprising because I had no idea what I was doing. So the the two vets guy, just as, we were talk, as, as we've been talking, has been um, messaging me. So if you guys have never – I probably ought to just, like, throw this out there. If you guys – I don't know what tripods you guys use, but yeah, just you made me think of tripod rear, and uh, he's sending me um, the the Recon V2, which which is like it's super narrow and like it's a three it, that one's a three leg section. I have the two leg section one, and I really like it, um, just because uh you it's easy and it's i mean it's probably the best tripod i've ever used for rear support or front support for that matter that thing is pretty awesome but he's sending me the recon so i can get it on a plane and uh it's a three leg section one but how much tripod rear did you would do you or not did you use at the last one but more do you anticipate us using it this one I'm not sure because there's no like you can you don't have to deploy it on clock. You can preset everything. Oh, good. So I used it every now and then, and there was a few, quite a few stages. I've I probably never used tripod rear as much as I did at the match in France. Okay, that's exactly what I wanted to know because that's what I was thinking. And so, like uh, you asked about practice, I'm I've been gonna go, and just like this next week because we only have about ten days, right? Well, it's about two weeks from two days so yeah about 10 11 days left till we have to fly out of here um yeah we leave on the third that is scary i know it's crazy yeah we we leave at 2 30 in the afternoon and then get there at 8 30 in the morning 
Um, and it's one flight direct from Salt Lake. Uh, but it's a nine hour flight. So, yeah, basically we just fly all night long there. Cause I think, what is it that France is probably one hour, uh, behind you, I'm guessing. Uh, maybe I'm not, not sure. Really might be, might be one hour. Yeah. So that'd be six hours ahead of us. No, seven. Yeah. Cause you're seven. eight hours. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically we get on the plane sometime in the middle, uh, sometime, um, in the evening there and then show up in the morning there. So you're flying straight to, to, uh, Paris. Yeah. We're going to Paris and then we don't know what we're doing when we get there, but, uh, yeah, we're going to, what, what time did you say you're getting there during the day? Like eight thirty in the morning. Eight thirty in the morning. All right. I mean, it's, uh, just get in the bus and drive. I mean, that's quite a drive over to the beach from Paris. And uh, I mean, the weird thing about France is I've, I've never been there before previous to this trip that we did in May. And even stopping at a at a truck stop, they had the most amazing grilled baguettes. Really? Like they, they had, And they actually had a stew cooking with a ratatouille and uh, rice and bread and everything. Like it, it looked like a... Not the best looking truck stop, but and they had really good, good food, food, like really good food. See, yeah. I've heard that. Was... I got a, I got a buddy that lived there for a couple of years, and and uh, I'm gonna make him at least tell me where to go a little bit for food or like what dishes to try and stuff like that. I've been meaning to call him. Frog like, legs and snails. Ne- no, hell no. <laughs> it's huh? good. I tell you, it's, it's pretty good. That's good. I'll let you eat them all. I'll eat, I'll eat <laughs> beef and chicken and stuff. Snails, I, like I draw the line at escargot. That's an that. Uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm good. Nope, nope. It's just texture with gar- taste of garlic, pretty much. Uh, frog legs is like a mix between fish and chicken. I've yeah, I've it's heard frog legs ain't bad. I might try a frog leg, but not that escargot crap. Mm-mm. Well, I take that back. I'll probably eat one just to say I did it, and that's it. Yeah, that is the. And when you eat one, you realize it's pretty good, and you'll have another one. Yeah, maybe so. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's probably about like oysters. I bet they just they just come from the dang land. That's the problem, you know. They live in the dirt, ugh, and they got slime. Ugh, I don't even like them alive. Yeah. No, I I, I get what you're saying, but you'll be surprised if you try one. And that's all I'm saying. All right, all right. Maybe I'll try one. But no, I'm. What are you doing to practice for this? Are you anything different? Uh, no, the whole work with the like, there's a lot. Of, I wouldn't say that there's a lot, but some work within the IPRF that's taking up a lot of my mental power, and uh, so I'm trying to not focus too much on that because it's not essential for the whole thing. It's easy to get, you know, when you started something, it's easy to to take on a bit too, more responsibility than you have to. Yep. Uh, so I'm trying to focus less on that, and really, I, I'm just I'm shot a match this weekend. I was this weekend. I'm probably just gonna go out and do a few rounds, practice a little bit more on tripod rear, and then uh, the weekend before, like literally three days before flying out, I'm shooting a two-day match in Norway. 
Okay. And, uh, so I'm, I'm just going to practice with shooting matches, which is really the best way. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm hoping. I can't remember. There might be. I just got a text message right now that there's an NRL hunter match in Colorado tomorrow. And I'm real tempted to load 20 rounds and go because that's about all I need is an extra 20 rounds. <laughs> so 20? Got, oh, oh, how many rounds is a hunter match usually? Uh, 160, but uh, well, maximum of 160. But like, I don't usually anticipate me shooting over 100 because it's de- it's actually so. If you shoot, if you hit every target on the first shot, it's 80 rounds. Um, because if you hit them, then it's out, right? It's out of out of play so if you hit it on the first shot two points hit on the second shot one point but you can't like if you hit it on the first shot you can't shoot it again and try to get one no it's dead essentially is the idea is when you hit it one time it's dead so but if you miss it the first time you can re-engage and then you kill it on the second shot but that's two points so sorry that's one point or re-engaging a time limit yeah, for re-engaging like second shot, like it would be in the field. Like if you if you miss the first shot on a deer or you just a canyon, have a, like you, you just have a time limit for the stage. All right. Okay. So I mean, generally, uh, the stages are four minutes, but that's to get to the shooting position, find all the targets, range them, get all your data, um, and then get to shooting. And you might have four positions and four targets. Or you might have two positions and two targets, and you got to shoot each target from both positions, or it's just one position and four targets, and you just have to shoot all four targets from there. So, but every stage is a is a minimum of four rounds, a maximum of eight rounds. And so, okay, yeah, it it, it looks like a pretty cool format. We've looked oh, yeah. a lot at it over here. It's just we've got problem with the how you're allowed to use land for matches over here. That's one of the reasons we only have like four or five big ones. Yep. It's it's kind of hard. So, but uh, the format sounds pretty cool. I mean, yeah, the, most of us over here started with hunting. Yeah, no, the format is great. It's just be honest with you, like if you don't have the land, I mean, it is so hard, even for us over here, right? Because that I I think it's a really fun format, but it's it's really really hard for a match director to put it on. I think. Because you have to do so much more, there's so much more logistics that go into it, like setting the left and the right lateral limits, making sure you can see it, making sure there's a place, because everything has to be blind, so making sure there's a place for everybody to be to where they can't see the targets and they can't see the person shooting the stage and all that. And everyone is a different level of blind because you have, um, basically you have stages where, where you can see the guy shooting it, but you can't see the targets. And then there's sometimes where, where and 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 I'm saying naked eye, like you can't be on glass at all. But like sometimes you're just like sitting there, and all of a sudden you see, you just like you're walking up to a stage, and you see the marker for the stage, right? Because they, it's just not hidden, and you're in. So pretty soon you well you know that's where they are, you know type thing, you know like it's just like there's no. I, you're you're allowed to keep your brain turned on. How about that? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, it sounds like a match director's nightmare. Yeah, exactly. And I think it is. I think, but I think they're a lot of fun and they're worth it. 
but you can there it's not sustainable to have much more than in the states to have more than about 10 a year yeah yeah i get that but like there's definitely a larger demand for precision shooting and so uh like the pro series is never going anywhere and honestly i prefer the pro series matches uh the prs matches over the hunter matches i even think they're more more practical and make you a better hunter um that's just my own opinion though yeah i i've seen i know since i started shooting i've i've hunted all my life i think i shot my first deer when i was 12 or something yep and once i picked up precision rifle i just you know it there's there's not a shot at any distance <laughs> yeah. uh, i feel like that's it's just stupid really you go out in the field and you see a deer it's like 450 away and you just get a you get your bipod or tripod out and just harvest it and yeah i I pretty much stopped with that style of style of hunting so i just go out with my jag terrier and a a short barreled uh, rifle pretty much or not short barrel in your standards but like a 18 inch barrel and a a one to six power scope and use the dog instead it's uh i pretty much stopped with the other it's not as fun anymore really yeah i mean for for me it's still fun because we live in these mountains that i mean your shots like good luck with uh that i don't know it's just not set up like you're not hunting out in the woods it's like you're hunting no we're deep, more flat land say. and uh, yeah it's it's way different that way because i'd struggle to find a 400 yard shot i like really struggle oh yeah we struggle to find one but yeah. the opposite direction probably <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a bit different for sure. Yeah, like you you, no, you I, can find a shot all day long, 600 to, 800, 400 to, 400 to 800 yards. I mean, you you can't like not find a shot like that. Holy shit, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, you'll, you'll find, like you can find a shot. Like if you're looking for it, like if you were like wanting to sling lead it a long ways, oh yeah, you could find a shot at 14, 1500 yards, no problem. Do you should That's you be doing stupid, that? Really? No, you shouldn't be doing that. I killed one at twelve. That's one of the things. Twelve eighty four. Yeah. Um, but that that was when I was about. I don't know. Shoot, I was only twenty one or so. It's been about ten years or eight or nine years ago. Uh, and, yeah. And I just got like a nice seven mag, and I mean I'd been shooting it and knew how to shoot it pretty good at this point. And uh, my cousin was like, you can't hit that thing. Because I was like, oh, let's go get closer. <laughs> Watch and he, me. <laughs> and he's like, you can't hit it from here. I was like, I could, but we probably should get closer. And he's like, yeah, there's no way you could. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I lay down, boom, and dropped him. So. Wow. Yeah, that's n- uh, not saying. Looking at it from 10 years later, you you more luck or skill? Uh, it was not a bad shot. It wasn't that bad. I mean, I'd t- I, could, I could do that again right now but yeah. uh like this but last at the time yeah at the time me i don't know it was that was a good freaking shooting gun man yeah but yeah i don't know i i still i still don't i i i yeah i i think it was a good shot honestly i would i i don't think i would take that one back i knew what the wind was i knew it wasn't i knew the wind was pretty mm-hmm. calm and uh it yeah it was and it was a good clean one shot 
dead deer, you know. So this year, this past year, past two years, I've had to shoot some because one was one was bedded three canyons away and there was like no way to get up on another ledge or another hillside until about 200 yards away from him and i know we probably would have blew him away um like a him out of there um so i it was basically my only shot and it was a thousand oh five or something like that dropped him no problem he was laying down in his wow. bed and just sent her over there and killed him and then and then it took me two hours on my horse to ride over to him see hunting from horseback that's something i always wanted to do it's not something we do obviously since we have these smaller pieces of land we usually just butcher on site and carry out or use uh, like a quad to pull them out because it's it's not far from a logging road or anything and you but guys ride in knickers over there i mean what are you gonna do you freeze your ass off <laughs> yeah it's not that it's not that cold we start hunting moose in september oh and, okay. uh, but once we get into like november december i start getting pretty cold in january it's just brutal yeah i knew i know there's a lot of horses over there in there oh yeah there's more horses than there's cattle that's what i've heard i've heard um i knew some people from over there and they're i mean they're all um warm bloods but Oh, I I don't know. First thing about different horse breeds, uh, I know we have. Uh, so my wife's family's got a farm, and they got a few quarters. That's about all I know. And you and you uh, went to Australia to to work cattle for a while. You yeah, said? me and the wife went there for like, we went there for a year, uh, like like half a year after we met. We both went down there and worked cattle for like eight or nine months. How was that? It was interesting. I mean, it's like drinking information out of a fire hose. I didn't grow up on a farm, so I met my wife, and she's a farmer, and I, we went down to Australia doing the like the most extreme of cattle work you can do, and I didn't know yak shit. So, <laughs> See, I wonder. You had to learn pretty fast. What do them guys think of that? They're just like, what the heck? You guys get a uh, well, uh, job on a sorry? ranch? Is that what it was? Yeah, we yeah pretty much i went down there with just my old gym backpack and uh a, a buddy of mine was down there shooting the benchrest world championship because i kind of tired at my job and everything it's like yeah let's go somewhere uh, you know you're in your early 20s and it's a lot easier to just travel somewhere and uh so we went there and we asked you know anyone who could use a hand on a farm and he made a few phone calls it's like yeah get on a plane and fly a few hours out in the middle of nowhere they had this like a hundred thousand acre, uh, or like cattle station out there, and uh, yeah, just started working, welding stuff, and you know, working cattle, mustering, all kind of things. Where you guys? Fences. Where you guys? Uh, you guys have to work work in um, in the saddle, or are you just mainly on the ground? That was, I was when we did all the mustering and everything. Anna was on the. My wife, she was on the in the saddle. I was on a four wheeler, like a, a quad bike. Yep, yeah. I, I never got up to a horse more than just riding a little bit around in the paddock. Do they, so getting me on a horse trying to work cattle, that would be a suicide mission. Do they use a lot of stock whips over there? I wouldn't say that they did. We had a, like I mean, we brought like a in all whip. the cattle. 
Yeah, I know what. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, they call them stock whips. I don't over think there, that, though. Yeah, no, I don't think we used them that much. Some of the guys had them. I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure if we brought them out. We had about like when we brought in the biggest herd of cattle. We had like six horses, about a dozen dogs, four quad bikes, and two helicopters. Don't they use a lot of like? Uh... I can't remember what the heck they call them dogs, but cur dog. No, they don't. No, cur dogs are over here. Can't remember. They got like some sort of dingo deal. Cross. Oh yeah, thing. that's the ones we got. Uh, it's a cattle Australian cattle dog, blue healer. Yeah, yeah, we got a ton of them over yeah. here. The only thing yeah. is, is they're, yeah. they're kind of yeah. They're they well, they're not bad. The the border collies are really no. They're they're uh, they're we got. Uh, Three of them in the house and a jag terrier. And that's oh, uh, yeah. what happened yesterday when we were supposed to record the podcast. Is one <laughs> yep. of the cattle dogs started fighting with the jag terrier and there was blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. For anybody listening and thinks that uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm horrible for beating cattle with a stock whip, but we're in, that's not what you do with them. Uh, like they use them a lot in Florida. They call them cowboys down there. They call them the Florida crackers. Uh, it's cause they, they move cattle with a bullwhip and the brush and they don't, they don't hit them. I mean, every now and again, you get a mean bull on the fight and you might have to whip his ear or something like that. And if you crack one in the ear, I mean, it, it'll probably draw blood. Um, well on a cow, it probably, it don't draw blood. Um, takes a couple, but, uh, you don't need to, you usually don't ever need to touch one. It just sounds like a gunshot. So then they, they move away from it. Yeah, so uh, that's uh, as a common misconception among people. It's like, oh, they whip their cattle. It's like, no, they don't. They just crack them over their ears to the left or right. Yeah, yep. but I mean, like, if you do get a mean bull on the fight, though, yeah, just to keep yourself and your horse, uh, like, with as many holes that you started as when you finish, you might have to crack one over the, like, like, you might have to whack one, though. But that's different when yeah. it's, when it, when he's coming at you. And you gotta oh, you wanna eat you. get them off the yeah. When you get one on, yeah. I mean, luckily I've never had uh, to worry about that. So no, I just I remember that they had a little um, they had a little Suzuki Jimmy, you know, the little two seats uh, like Jeep style thingies. Yep, yep, yep. And one of them had a huge hole in the side on the I think it was on the passenger side at least. But I was like, it was a massive hole what's that and there's like yeah we're trying to corner this mean bull and he just jammed his horn through the door and tried to tip over the car <laughs> yeah he probably uh, he probably got on one of those little suzukis he probably might have got close yeah probably and i was uh you know i was i'm pretty i'm pretty glad i didn't have to deal with any of those bulls but yeah, and most yeah. of the time, most of the time bulls are just docile and not a big deal. Like especially like Angus bulls and stuff, you ain't got to worry about it. It's when you get to get into some of the other breeds and some of the, especially on big big ranches where those cows don't get much human contact. That's yeah. when that's when you run into some issues. But yeah, I've just yeah, we had some uh, interesting com- confrontations with uh, clean skins that's never been handled at all. Yeah. They call them Mavericks over that here. Was, uh, all right. Yeah, my dad used to rope a lot of a lot of Mavericks back in the day. Because oh, cool. in Florida, yeah, it's a big deal. Um, because there's 
because the, those cattle can can get in the in the jungle down there and uh mm-hmm. and when they get in the jungle like you 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 just can lose track of them and don't even know where they're at and they can be out there for a couple of years and you'll just see one and then and then it's like then the race is on and then yeah they'll wrap the ropes or wrap their ropes around them and tuck them underneath their arms so they can go through the brush and as soon as they come out of the brush they'll swing the rope twice and it'll come up off their body and then they'll throw it and they can catch cows wow going across the range so yeah. is it do you do team roping or just do the the, the one where you're supposed to tie them up i don't know the name for that one calf roping Probably. yeah i did i mean yeah, i mainly roping. calf rope but yeah i team rope too i mean i didn't i uh i mean i can team if you can rope calves you can dang sure team rope but well at least head you can you can catch a neck but uh and you can yeah, but uh i prefer to rope calves but i do i do like team roping too so it's just i heal so i rope the i rope the back feet well i do both i honestly i mean i can head or heal but it's fun it's interesting stuff to watch for sure i i just never closest thing uh, i i didn't rope but one thing down in australia they uh we're, we're cutting the the balls out of the, the yep. steers castrating ones castrating them and apparently one thing that you had to do is you had to wrestle down a young brahman bull really yeah, so i was like yeah so i don't know if this was just a thing they told me or something it's like you have to you have to wrestle it down by yourself no help like in the side of pen and so i was like no way yeah you ha- you really have to do it like, oh shit all right <laughs> like you sh- pussy and i'm like now i have to do it so i came from a background in in wrestling as a kid and so all i did was just in just did the same thing as i did when i was young just wrestling and i took his neck and just pulled him down like hold him in like an idiot and while they cut his balls off and that was a pretty wild experience he wasn't um Let's say no. Who who would just go down easy when they're supposed to cut your balls off? No, I I definitely understand it. I mean, I you got to do it, but uh, you don't want to be in the on the receiving end of that. But nope, sure has happened a lot in history and still happens all the time. But <laughs> I think that's what they should yeah, do with with uh with uh pedophiles and rapists, though. I think most people would agree on that. Yeah, I don't know why. They should put it up for a vote because I guarantee it'd win. I mean, I don't even think oh, yeah. it's like if a you, close okay, thing. If it's a people vote, not for Congress. I, I guess that would be new law in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, well, I think so. I don't think it would, at, at least in most parts. Maybe the cities is the only place you wouldn't do it. But that's where they need it. So, you know, well, yeah. what do I know? Here, <laughs> Here we are talking laws now, but... We've gotten to the weeds a little bit, but went from we went we went from shooting into cattle into law, so I don't know what will be next. <laughs> yeah. Space force maybe. Yeah, no, but I feel like so because I've listened to several different podcasts and stuff on on the international deal, and man, uh, I haven't got a lot of answers on what I think what is actually going to happen over there and I don't know that we're going to get all the answers until we get there but at least like after talking to you it kind of calmed me down like talked me off a ledge because I'm like man maybe I don't want to go to this place because look at this I mean look look what we're going to end up we don't know that until we're done but 
what we've requested is a good solid match with solid props, a lot of troop lines, small like reasonably small targets, but still small. Yeah, I'm, and uh, well, we'll see if they deliver. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and I think it's going to be a good time. And I, I'm hoping that uh, it's it's a I, well, I imagine it's going to be fun either way. I mean, uh, the the U.S. team is. Let me see. I got. I had it pulled up here. I just want to. I get this question all the time, so I would like to go through. Or at least uh, speak to that real fast. Let me see. Let's see the the open division um, for the U.S. team. I mean, is me, Austin Orgain, Tate Streeter, uh, Austin Bushman, Clay Blackketter, and Greg Bell. Um, and then we have a women's division. And we have Laurel Lincolnhead, Peyton Grimes, and Allison Zane. And then in the senior division, we have Rusty Ulmer and Paul Higley, who that's who I'm staying with is Rusty and Paul. Those are me and Paul live 15 minutes away from each other and shoot all the time, so that was a pretty good time. And then uh, we have one mil LEO, which is Grant. I don't know his last name. Um, and then. And then our limited division is Leon Weatherby, Coulter Marriott, Buck Hawley, and Matt Partain. So, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think we have the factory division at all. No, that was, uh, I remember talking to some guys about that, and it was really hard because the rules are set so that the rifle has to be made by a company that either has the parts unique to them or made in-house and that's kind of it's not an american thing on how to build a rifle that's for precision rifle it's uh it's kind of limits it down to very few options and it was kind of hard to source yeah yep yeah americans are we usually get get parts from all all kinds of places get the best parts and mix them together yeah we mix a match but yeah so i feel like our team should be um at least pretty decent. I know the open team is is uh pretty stacked. We pretty had, stacked. Yeah, we had we had a couple of guys <laughs> drop out that um um like we were originally we had Dave Preston um was coming and uh and Greg was gonna shoot um limited. Um but either way I think we're fine. I mean but but anybody that knows uh um, ever I mean, usually Dave Preston doesn't need any introduction. He's one of the the greats of the sport <laughs> no, over here. Uh, oh, for sure. Not taking anything from Greg Bell. So, uh, Greg Bell's a good shooter, but uh, and he would have still been coming, so he would have still been on the team. So, but yeah, no, it'll be. I think it'll be a good time. Oh, for sure. That's uh, regarding the open team where um. Some some people who started talking said, "Oh, are you going to beat the Americans? Or are you going to beat those?" And for us, are going and keeping track of everything. The question isn't if we're going to beat you; it's how much we're going to get raped. <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to say something else, and that that start that finished a place a different place than where I thought it was going to. 
And yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> it's just pretty much how the how the talk of the town goes among the top shooters in Sweden. It's how bad you're going to kick our asses, and if you're, you're going to use like a sledgehammer doing it. <laughs> you know, it'll be. I think it'll be. I think it'll be a good match, and I bet I bet um, there's some. Like I'll bet you give us a a better run for our money than you think. Cause, Maybe because we'll I mean we're going into your country. We don't know what that looks like. You know. I guess. I mean, you're the ones who're gonna have to live with the time change and everything, and that's always a struggle. But I don't think it'll be. I mean, uh, there might be one or two Europeans up in the. I'd say like, my guess is, at least for team for open, I'm guessing U.S. will place first. And then second or third place would probably be Sweden or Norway. That's my yeah. best guess. Yeah, I feel like I feel like uh, um, South Africa might be close though. Yeah, I, I don't keep track of the South Africans. So I don't know. I know they have. Like they one came over. To I know the, there's one or two guys who are good. Yeah, they came over to the NRL Hunter finale, or not Hunter finale, uh-huh. just the NRL championships, just at regular NRL. And them guys did pretty good. There was one guy that was seven. Another. Oh, that's very good. That's then, extremely impressive. Yeah, and and it was me. Let's see, I won it. Clay was second, and uh, um, Sean Haymore was third. And yeah, like Vibbert was there. I think he, Vibbert he finished right after Vibbert. I think Vibbert was third, or no, sorry, Vibbert was mm-hmm. Vibbert was sixth. I think, and he was seventh. Wow, yeah, Vibbert is one of those names. Yeah, he is one of them names, and he does. I oh mean, he's that that guy shot really good. Um, I'm trying to remember his name. I know it if I if I saw him, I'd know his name. But now, right now, I can't think of it for some reason. But that's how it usually goes. I've always had a trouble pronouncing the South African last names. Yeah, I didn't even it's try his last name. and things. I did not try his last name at all. But I, but I, but his first name, I could, I could, I could get through it. But yeah, there's, there's a yeah. couple dudes um, from there that'll probably be decent. But I think, yeah, yeah I think, I think, uh, I don't know. So you think Norway, Sweden, South, South Africa, Africa, maybe Australia? Yeah, I think maybe. I don't know if there's any. I have no idea if there's any guys coming from Australia. Oh, I thought Not there sure. was people coming. Oh, maybe. I don't. I don't keep track of all uh, everyone. I talked to a guy from New Zealand. It doesn't sound like New Zealand. The New Zealand guys are coming this this year. No. Oh yeah, Australia. I forgot. There's travel restrictions. They might not be able to leave the country. No, it's uh, it's quite strict down there still. They went full retard on the COVID thing. Yeah. Let's see. Trying to think. Who else do you think would be um, some of the top teams? Uh, some of the British guys are pretty good. Uh, I know Josh Josh Martin from uh, from the UK. He came in third on that match in France. Uh, he's pretty good. Uh, but, yeah, that's about it, I think. Not sure. And if it's you guys, kind of hard to keep track if of anybody's listening from those countries and is like, "Oh, I'm hold my beer," I'll show you guys. Uh, Bring it on. Yeah, please do. I also please introduce yourself to me. I love to always like to meet new people in yeah. the sport, and I, it's always fun to meet you guys who love shooting. 
one thing you will figure out if you if you get to know me is uh I I do like having fun but I am I have got a clinical issue with competition. I am very competitive. And but and so if you if you offer some competition, I I welcome it with open arms. And so I like Isn't that I, like the, the thing with all of us? Like everyone's extremely competitive. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like I I don't know that I like to win. Um I well, I really like to win. I do. But but there's nothing I hate more than losing. So mm-hmm. that's that's my thing is I mean I just love I I like to and and I mean I don't know. It's it's just fun to to compete and but I do love to meet people and and all that and I try not to be the guy. I don't want to be the guy that's uh that uh that doesn't have fun while shooting too, you know? Cuz in all reality that's what that's what we do this for is to have a good time. But it's kind of yeah, snowballing. I mean, no one's more. making a no one's shooting to make a living out of it. So No. No, I'm it's still, still going to vet fun, school. But it's fun to win. Yeah. So how how many years have you done vet school for? I know I've heard that for a long time. It's like, oh Morgan's doing vet school. And yeah, like, I know. How long is vet school? It's a four year so it's a doctorate degree, so you got you have it's basically similar to med school um so you're it's a four-year deal the only thing different is is um i can choose to either do like an internship um or uh, in or go basic or go back and do like a residency but i don't have to do a residency like they do but but at least yeah you don't have to do that for as long i guess you still have to do some sort of like a um, working internship or something like that for a while, but you still have to do four years of school over on top of your. So how many years have you done? So I'm t- I'm two years in. All right. So yeah, it's well two years, kind of. I mean, if you count undergrad, I'm been doing this shiz forever. And. So you have time for vet school. You obviously have a family. You yep. do roping. You also shoot. So I had to. Do you ever sleep? Well, sometimes. I figure you can <laughs> sleep when you're dead. But I, uh, but I, I had to, I had to quit roping when when vet school started. That was the one thing. See, shooting I can do with a lot less time, right? Like I can, I can load up three hundred rounds or whatever in an evening, and go shoot a match or something but i but roping you got to keep horses tuned up and and ready to go and they got to keep them exercised and in shape and that's definitely uh a lot more work and so i'll probably be roping as soon as i get out of vet school because i love roping but uh until then i'll be locked down to just shooting and anyone who thinks shooting is expensive, try doing a sport that includes horses. Oh man, I know that's why I always laugh when they talk about how expensive shooting is. Not that it's shooting is not expensive; it's just, yeah, yeah. Horses is next level expensive. Yeah, no, it is. I'm lucky because our my parents have a place and like an arena and stuff. So, I'll, like, yeah, I'll either have to be a couple years down the road um, before. 
I can do it again and get back into horses, but uh, or like or I can just live close to my parents, I guess. I'll just be the forever yeah, child. That's way of doing it. Uh, it's not bad. It's not a bad way of go of having it. Yeah, yeah. My parents probably don't think the same, but it is what it is. <laughs> exactly. They probably like you sticking around when they get old. Oh yeah, no, they they do not mind us being around, especially with the grandkids and all that. They they love us being around. So yeah, but that's good. That's good. So. Uh, just to round things off, I mean, it feels like we can continue talking for hours. Oh, yeah. but we've been going at it for two hours now, and I know. <laughs> we don't want to get people's ears to start bleeding. No, they're priority bleeding. No, I was just about to yeah. um, figure we ought to. And do you have anybody that you'd like to um, give a shout out to or anything? Uh, I'm, I'm horrible at this stuff, but uh, there's always my great buddy Andy Hawkins. That's, uh, yeah, he's a good guy. He's probably he's uh, he's a really good guy. He's uh, one of the best guys I know, and he stayed with him and lived with him while we were in the U.S. shooting the match and afterwards. And yeah, he's uh, he's truly a great guy and deserves all the recognition he can get. He shot a match over there, right? Yeah, he came. That's how we got to know each other. He came over in 2019 and shot one of our matches. Isn't one. that when he had his heart deal? Yeah, so he shot the match and like had a, I don't know what's it called, like a stroke or something. I don't know. What yeah, he, I know he had. A I'm small not sure stroke, about the clinical. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like that's two what he days told me. after the match. Yeah, so two days after the match, he had a small stroke. So when I talked to him about the match when I got over there, he just said, "Listen, I don't remember most of it," which is kind of scary. Yeah. Well, he spent a while in the hospital. It was not a good deal. Oh yeah, I remember. No. Yeah, I remember talking to him about it, and I was like, "Holy smokes, man, it's crazy!" But but everything everything's good now, so I mean, I'm really glad he pulled through. Yeah, yeah, that was scary. So, but yeah, if anybody sure. if anybody uh, listening doesn't know who Andy Hawkins is, he's the owner of Hawkins Precision. Um, it's right over here in Colorado. Um, he's got they make um, bottom metal. Um, magazines uh rings um they make the ace break for um for uh cartridge clay's car i think well i don't know who actually runs that maybe it's ace now yeah it's ace precision maybe i don't know it's the, the he makes the breaks so <laughs> i know he makes the break but i but i mean he, they brand it and sell it or something like that yeah, I think the company's called Ace Precision LLC now, and they sell it through Impact, among others. Yep, yep, and they're and he makes other breaks. He makes all kinds of stuff, and they they I mean they're really good products. Their rings are awesome. They um, their mounts are great. Like everything everything I've ran that's got Hawkins on it is top notch stuff. So yeah, check them out if you guys don't know don't know uh hawkins precision so yeah i appreciate you coming on and um hopefully that answers some of the a lot of the questions that i've been getting and maybe um at least we we get to talk about it everything i've heard has been a little bit more like i don't know it's been more it's pretty superficial on what what they're talking about what to expect and the big answer is is i don't think most of us know 
exactly what to expect and that's what it ought to be but we're excited and we'll have plenty to talk about when it's done so appreciate you coming on it'll be good yeah i'll have you on my podcast someday as well we can talk more shit (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah sounds good all right buddy take care all right we'll talk to you later